Mr. Pop. Dark. Hello, and welcome to Miskatonic University Radio, a podcast exploring fantasy flight games as Arkham Horror the Card Game. I'm Dane. I'm Dan. And I'm Ben. And today, we're going to take a look back on our experience at Arkham Knights. We're going to be talking about some of the upcoming standalone scenarios, as well as opening up the mailbag. Arkham Knights was, uh, it, it was great. It was super fun. We had a great time. There should be more than one of them a year. That's my, that's my new pitch. There should be, like, at least three Arkham Knights per year. What do you guys think? I mean, they're doing them more internationally now, right? We can just fly to Canada and uh, the UK and wherever else they're doing them, right? I mean, if if there was one in Canada, I would actually, I would actually legit go. <laughs> There's that uh, Mansions of Madness escape room in Canada. That's the thing we can do. Oh, oh boy, it's in Toronto. Oh yeah, we're definitely doing that. By the way, here's my reasoning. There's at least like three to four Super Bowls per year, right? But there's only one Arkham Knights. Is there? Yeah, there is. Is that how Sportsball works? I'm pretty sure. Okay. So does that mean there's a Mega Bowl at some point? We have to uh, probably. So we, anyway, that's our request for FFG. Have have more Arkham Knights's. We'll 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 come to them. It'll be great. Yeah, absolutely. Especially on the East Coast. Hey, there you go. But anyway, so this time at Arkham Knights. So this was for for Ben and I. This was our third year. This is Dane's second year, I guess. So we we've, we've kind of been there before. We'll kind of like walk through our experiences. We landed on Friday and we immediately went from the airport to the nearby Mall of America to get piatas, uh, which is Ben's favorite thing in the world. Yeah, piatas are great. So that was obviously our first stop when we arrived in Minnesota, since there are no piatas anywhere near. We had uh, tasked Dane with retrieving the piatas because he arrived like three hours before us for some reason, <laughs> and he picked them up for us. Uh, and he put a surprise in mine, which I didn't appreciate, but it was still piatas. So it was good. Yeah, Ben was uh, Ben was tricked into actually consuming vegetables for probably yeah. the first time all year. Yeah. <laughs> Type of zucchini. I don't know. It's no good in the piatta, Dane. It's like too cold. We tried to explain to Ben that zucchini is like the most delicious vegetable, and that it's absolutely nothing that anyone should ever complain about. It but. was fine, but the the vegetables are cold, and they go in the hot piatta, and then it makes the piatta like <laughs> lukewarm instead of extremely warm and delicious. So that that is like, a consistent problem with uh, piatta chipotle style restaurants where they scoop a bunch of stuff into a thing is that usually the things are not consistent temperatures but oh well if they made like a zucchini somehow appear in arkham horror the card game would you feel better uh what okay let's move on (laughs) to the next question (laughs) so 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 from the piata we we dropped our stuff off at the airbnb we were staying and then we headed over to the ffg center which uh you know we've we've been there before we it's a cool place they got they got food they got beer they got games it's it's great so the first thing that we were going to do was we, you know, we picked up our, our swag and stuff, and then we signed up for the first Blob That Ate Everything event, which was uh, that, that evening, Friday night, in the event room with like a really huge group of people. And we were going to go in with, uh, so it was the three of us and our friend Colin, so the four of us were going to be a team for Blob, but then they did the raffle for the card council, and, uh, and Dane got into the card council, which meant that he got to go design a card with a group of 12 other people, including one of the game designers. That was pretty cool. Hooray! He was stolen away from us. Yeah, he was kidnapped. This is true. Yeah, yeah. Which is a little awkward because uh, I had like a Patrice deck put, that I put together for the first time, ready to go. 
But then we didn't have a guardian, so I was forced to use Dane's Mark deck that he had prepared. That I had no idea. Well, I had no idea what any of the cards were, so it was a fun surprise. The whole time. Oh no! I have to play the best investigator at the whole deck. <laughs> no. It was it was funny too because uh, yeah, and Ben Ben only remembered that Mark gets to draw cards when he takes damage about halfway through. Uh, so you know, because because this was Ben's first time playing Mark, I think. Uh, yeah. Because usually one of you guys wants to do them, so... Yeah, because our original plan was to go in with... I was going to play Mandy, Colin was going to play Preston, Dane was going to play Mark, and Ben was going to play Patrice. But we... Yeah, so Dane, Dane got kidnapped for card council, so Ben picked up Dane's Mark deck. And for our fourth person, uh, a cool guy named Walker joined us playing an Akachi deck. Shout out to Walker. So yeah, it was, it, was, it was a good time. You know, you guys... So you guys had played Blob before. This was the first time that I had done it. Was it relatively similar to previous times that you had played it, or...? Uh, I played it once before because uh, Harrison had brought back a bunch of blobs and set up an event in Connecticut for people to play. So I didn't mm. with that. Right. Uh, that one we was like it was like five groups, so it was like twenty-ish people or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was twenty. And it was in the, not the extremely loud FFG center, <laughs> so like we were able to communicate a little bit with each other to coordinate because uh, there's like some like timed events that happen. Like if it happens for one group, it happens for everybody. Yeah. So it makes it a little easier to coordinate. So we got through it a little bit more easily in that group. In this one, uh, I think we just barely won with a couple minutes left. Well, and, and what do we have, like 28 or 30 teams or something like that of four? How many people were there? The health was like 1380 or something. So divide that by 15. So like 80-ish people, which means like 20 teams, something like that. Somewhere yeah, in the range. it's a yeah. very big group. Pretty big blob. I was curious whether that was like the biggest blob that had been that had been done so far, but we found out later that one of the Gen Con blobs was even bigger. So yeah, cool. I think one of them was like ninety six people or close to that. Yeah, wow, yeah. that's that's intense. But uh, but yeah, so as as Ben said, we uh, we we got a little bit too aggressive and we tried to like really go all out uh, trying to kill the blob fast, but other teams were not quite on that plan. So we ended up kind of almost dying, but we managed to pull it out. And uh, the whole group eventually won with like five minutes left, which was fun. So Hooray. if you haven't gotten a chance to do Blob yet, uh, it's pretty cool. Definitely do it. I don't think all of the Blob groups succeeded, Ark of Nights. I think a couple of them might have uh, tragically been devoured. Yeah, at least one smaller one on Saturday definitely lost. It's not a, It's not an easy win. The timing on it is very, very good, though. Like, it's designed so that you'll like just barely win or just barely lose i think yeah yeah if, if anybody who had like kind of formerly played labyrinths uh was scarred by that experience just know that the blob is definitely a takes a very good approach i think they learned a lot from labyrinths ported a lot of the good things about labyrinths and imported a lot of new th- ideas to it to make it even better yeah, I, w- I was a little bit skeptical going into Blob because I hadn't done it before because uh, Labyrinths was, you know, it, it was cool. It was like a neat idea and it was something that I enjoyed doing, but it wasn't something that I really felt like I wanted to go back and do again. And so I was kind of thinking like Blob, oh, it'll be this like random thing to do like once at a convention and then probably never do it again. But no, it was cool. I'd, I'd, I'd do it again, definitely. Yeah, I definitely just did the um, the campaign add-on side mission scenario.exe uh, and that was really fun to do in campaign. It was tough. There, the blob has a lot of health relative to two investigators, but we're able to take it down barely, barely, uh, you know. Yeah, that's cool. So around the time that the blob was wrapping up, Dane was uh, released from his card council responsibilities. So D- Dane came back and uh, so he, he described to us the state of the card. I, I guess, Dane, maybe you can go into a little more detail about how that process went uh, for people who, who haven't heard about it before. But when you came back to us and told us about the card, it sounded uh, incredibly ridiculously good. <laughs> right. Yeah. So when I came back from the council, it was it was certainly 
interesting to tell the tale of purifying corruption is the the card that I helped work on. There's also Shrine of the Mirai, which is a survivor level four uh, event, which was designed by the other group. The, they called themselves the Mirai, and we call ourselves the Impure. But um, when I came back from the card council, I relayed the news of the card, um, which was the initial version that we, or the, the version that we finalized at the card council session, which was, it seemed ridiculous. Knowing that it would be like uh, cleaned up a little bit or tweaked before it got printed the next morning, right? Yeah, Matt was definitely a very responsible designer in saying that some of this may be subject to change, (laughs) you know, before the end. So, you know, it was it was it was great to work with Matt to do it. Um, And it certainly took a bunch of twists and turns. He kind of posed, do you want this to be a player card or an encounter card? And then we kind of went from there. And then we dove in from it being an asset to a weakness to an event back to it being an asset and finally rested on it being an asset because you you started the prompt was like you were given an uh, art and a title right and you kind of had to like come up with a card to match those is that how it worked no just the art okay just the art is there just the art and then we we came up with come up with a title then the title was like the last thing and it was pretty much like we we went around did a quick vote and then everybody kind of decided what the best one would be because i know people are very confused about what the title needs and whether it's <laughs> purifying corruption or like corruption that is doing purifying or if the corruption is being purified i believe matt is nefariously wringing his hands at <laughs> ffg center i think it's clear that purifying is modifying the noun corruption because like you wouldn't have a name of an asset that was like a gerund right that would be but but would you though no nope uh but anyway yeah so that was cool so now uh dane Dane and ben have each now designed uh 113th of an arkham horror the card game card where you know we're we're increasing our influence over the direction that this game takes uh which i I really like one thirteenth at a time yeah exactly (laughs) one thirteenth per year ish give or take because because none of us got card council last year but uh you know we're, we're we're working on it so we, yeah, so after the blob, we kind of finished up. It was getting kind of late. So we headed back to the Airbnb. And despite it being late, we decided to start the first scenario of what we were planning on our, our kind of main event for the weekend, which was, uh, we, we were going to do Circle Undone Sapphire Challenge with all guardians, right? How did we decide to do that again? Uh, I think I brought it up randomly. I was like, hey, wait, <laughs> you know, it'd be really cool is if we handcuffed a bunch of nerds in the Circle Undone. If there were witches running around and there are cultists running around and what would feel better than running in with an all guardian squad and with like eight handcuffs and just, you know, laying down the law. Because we we had had some fun uh, earlier this summer when we all got together doing uh, the Forgotten Age with all mystics. And, you know, we, we kind of like picked the class that we thought would not be the ideal class to do Forgotten Age with. But it was like it was kind of fun, even though it was pretty sketchy in some places. So we kind of had the idea to do the same thing with Circle Undone, like, oh, let's play all Guardians, which is not the most obvious choice. But, uh, I mean, it actually went really well. Like, we actually did pretty great with it. I guess we can we can go into more detail about um, about our, our decks and stuff a little bit later in the podcast. But, yeah, it was, it was definitely a fun thing to try. Yeah, uh, the first scenario, just, <laughs> just as I mentioned, definitely could have gone better. <laughs> we, had, we had Colin playing uh, Larry. The Witching Hour. And... He had the worst possible weakness at the worst possible time. But again, we'll elaborate a little more about that later. <laughs> the worst nightmare. Yeah, he had your worst nightmare, which is the new multiplayer weakness that you can't deal damage to or defeat or anything like that. If it's yours, you can only evade it. You can only run away from it. And Larry Anderson is not super agile and great at evading things. <laughs> and of course, the witching hour is the scenario where for the first part of it, where you're each separated into your own little locations and you can't <laughs> go help other people with things. 
And uh, we were basically, we knew about this ahead of time, and we were just hoping, like, oh, Colin, please don't draw that weakness really early. And, of course, he drew it on, like, turn two or something. <laughs> yeah, so, it was, like, the first card he drew off the top. Yeah, so that was that was rough. He almost died, but but he didn't. And, uh, you know, we, we, we managed to get through it, so. I did die, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember that now. <laughs> yeah, that was funny when that happened. Uh, yeah, it was it was the only trauma that we took, I think, right? Yeah. So far, we're we're still not totally finished. But anyway, so so that was that was how we ended our, our Friday night. Oh, one last thing though, we opened some extremely cool fan mail. Yeah, there was a really nice uh, Fate of All Fools fan art from uh, my partner Harrison, and some amazing Lola fan promos done by the amazing Cat Shen, sent to us by uh, Margaret. So thank you very much, Margaret. Kat has done prior art in the Netrunner world to be an incredible artist. Um, we'll include our link in the blog as well. It was great. Yeah, it's really neat art. It's like Lola imagined as a cat, uh, which is really cool and something that uh, I would I would love to see done with more investigators. But yeah, the art was really amazing. Um, and uh, yeah, it was really, really fun to get those. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah. The more cats, the merrier. Yeah, very, very on theme for Dream Eaters so far. Yeah, so that was that was it for Friday. So Saturday, we woke up and we headed back to FFG, and this was when the Iron Man people were starting their Iron Man Forgotten Age run. We had decided not to do that, mostly because we had just done Forgotten Age pretty recently, and we were kind of not up for doing it again. Also because we, we kind of still have to work on our ability to play fast and to sometimes not try to get all the XP, which seems to be a necessary ingredient to be able to finish uh, a campaign in a day, so... <laughs> so we were doing our, our All Guardians TCU instead, but it, but it was cool. So we got the card council cards Saturday morning, and um, the card that Dane had worked on, Purifying Corruption, ended up a little bit different than the kind of final version from the actual card council, which is probably for the best, because that version would have been kind of nuts. So the version that actually came out, Dane, do you want to read it to people? So the version that we finalized, uh, and then Matt presented to us the morning after on Saturday, uh, was Purifying Corruption. It's a four-cost asset, neutral asset, four pips of experience, commits for one wild symbol, and uh, it says whenever you draw a non-weakness treachery, take one damage and one horror, and then you cancel that card's revelation effect and place one resource on the card as corruption. And then if there's three or more corruption, you remove it from the game. Uh, and then as a fast action, you can draw the top card of the encounter deck to either heal one damage and one horror, or remove one corruption from the card. So it's kind of like a self-regulating, slower ward of protection that's an asset kind of um and then it also is a ritual blessed and cursed both blessed and cursed whoa yeah How can it be both blessed and cursed it's a paradox well, if it was a paradox i'd say that on the card dan come on <laughs> so so definitely uh, it costs a lot of xp and money but getting you know three wards if you can afford to take the damage and horror is pretty great the original version that Dane had mentioned to us was was even stronger because, for one thing, it had just said uh, when you draw an encounter card. So, like, ward level 5, it would also work on enemies. Well, a non-weakness, yeah. Yeah, it yeah. also started with, like, three charges on it. Yeah. Yeah, originally it had, like, three charges as corruption on it immediately. So you could yeah. just, like, ward, so to speak, three things before anything Without happened. taking any damage or horror. Yeah, yeah, and then just kind of pitch it. Level 5 ward. <laughs> Yeah, um, and then and then you could put more charges on it by taking damage and horror, which is much better than putting charges on it by drawing encounter cards. Right. Yeah. 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 So Matt Matt really reined it in very smartly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Definitely for the best. But but I think I mean even the final card like you you need to have a, the right type of deck and a lot of extra experience, but it is definitely a playable card. I think so too. I know that like you know Tommy anybody who likes taking taking damage and horror as a result of something, especially something hu hugely beneficial as this, yeah. would be loving this card. 
Yeah, and it doesn't take up a slot also, which is nice. So Yeah, yeah. And then we got the Shrine of the Mirai, which is the other card that the, um, the Mirai, the uh, Jeremy Zwarns group, had designed, which is a one-cost event. It costs four experience to put in the deck. Gasp. And then it is a unique event, which is interesting because it is Fortune, Blessed, and Cursed. Uh, attached to your location uses three offerings. Attached location gets fast action, draw the top card of the encounter deck to exhaust Shrine of the Mirai, and spend one offering. Return up to two cards with a total combined level of five or less from your discard pile to your hand. So it's a good way to get a bunch of stuff back at the cost of an encountered card, which usually isn't the best thing to do, but maybe in some scenarios it could be pretty good. It's also kind of unique in the way that it attaches to a location. I don't think we've seen a survivor thing attached to a location before. Oh, wait, no. There's like snare trap and stuff, so maybe not. Yeah, so definitely cool uh, cool card council cards. Yeah. So and this this was still Saturday morning. So we were uh we continued our, our TCU run with our with our Guardian team. We should maybe actually so we, we got through Death's Doorstep. We should maybe actually take this opportunity to talk a little bit about our decks. I was playing uh Carolyn as kind of you know, if you're playing an all Guardian team, you should probably put a Carolyn in there as the sort of one person that can really be like purely focused on clues. Yeah. So it was definitely a fun deck. I kind of gradually I pretty quickly ended up with just an extremely expensive asset heavy deck. <laughs> which normally wouldn't be that great but it was kind of like well but if i get set up it's extremely strong it was it was certainly a shaper like experience yeah i i mentioned the day and it felt like playing a shaper in netrunner during the the meta times when shapers were like not really fast enough to be good at, at the game at all but you know obviously arkham's a little bit different because you're in a in a group and stuff so i i had peter sylvester and mr rook and alice luxley <laughs> so and, and two and two charismas. So I was getting a lot of allies out with calling in favors. I was bouncing my Mr. Rook and playing him again. I got the black book, which is incredible for Carolyn if you're playing Circle Undone and you can get that. It's that you know, it enables all of the dumb nonsense that the deck is trying to do. But I was also I was trying to just get a lot of clues. One thing that was fun was um so we'll talk about this when we talk about other people's decks, but a couple people in the party had Agency Backup, the new ally that you know you can tap to and, and deal it a damage or horror to get a clue or, or, or ping something. So I, I was playing Solemn Vows in my deck, which when we talked about it a couple weeks ago, we said, you know, interesting card in Tommy, but maybe not applicable in other situations. It worked out pretty well in this particular group because I would give Solemn Vows out to the people that had agency backups. I would have Peter Sylvester on the table and they just kept sending me horror, which I would put on Peter and then heal and get money. And they could just keep using their agency backups to get clues every turn. And it was, it was pretty ridiculous. So it was, it was unreal. Yeah. I mean, that, that part was definitely fun. And, um, yeah, no, it, it's definitely a fun deck. Uh, I think it is maybe, I don't know how good it is outside of this sort of specific situation, but it was definitely pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I played a pretty basic Mark deck. Not that there's nothing, nothing great about it. Pretty much everything is great about a Mark deck, but it was really standard, except for the fact that I ran Flamethrower really quickly. I felt like I had a lot of Guardian friends who were able to deal with smaller things, so I was able to kind of take some time off and go heavy on the Flamethrower build. Yeah, you were you were in the ideal situation, because normally with Flamethrower, you want to avoid wasting ammo killing little dudes, and in this case, we had other Guardians to take care of that, so you could focus on the big things. Also, in Circle Undone, if you do the first scenario pretty well, you end up with like 10 or 11 experience, so you can get your Flamethrowers right away, which, which we did. Yeah, exactly, and that's not even including like Delta Deeps. Or anything like that. Right. So, we, yeah, we did pretty well. Um, Mark was great at, at busting the bigger baddies, and the others helped clean up the little mess and also helped uh, with clues with the agency backups, which is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I was running uh, Tommy Uldoon. Kind of leaned heavily into 
clue goodie cards from Survivor and uh, Guardian because I thought that Mark and Larry would be able to handle murdering stuff as needed. There was across the entire group. There was a lot of crime scene investigation yeah. happening. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> crime scene. Uh, I use these like fortuitous discovery. Look what I found. Uh, I even put the spirits in, even though they don't. They uh, unjustly nerfed the spirits to not work with Tommy's ability in the FAQ. But I still put them in there so that you could try to investigate. So that was kind of fun. Uh, I think for a while I was using flashlights and then chucking them at things with uh, active desperation. <laughs> normal cop stuff. Yeah, no standard standard yeah. cop stuff. It seemed like you, you kind of had some trouble getting your assets killed to give you money and things. Yeah, we were too good at murdering and healing, <laughs> and like my stuff wasn't dying effectively. Like, whenever there was an enemy, someone would murder it before I could be like, oh, I'll, I'll just have that on me for a couple turns and <laughs> let it kill my stuff. Or, well, or handcuff right. it, yeah, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, oh yeah, handcuffs. Did get the handcuffs in there eventually. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess that's kind of a limitation of uh, of Tommy of Tommy's ability. But I mean, even just having you know, Survivor's like a pretty good off class for that deck. So it's like at least you got that benefit from playing Tommy. Yeah, my struggle was I my card draw wasn't great in this deck, so like I couldn't dig through it very fast, and I didn't anything got killed, it got shuffled back in. So yeah, uh, I didn't pull it out as quickly, but it was still fun. Yeah, and uh, and our, our friend Colin was playing uh, Larry Anderson, so he was playing you know allies, kind of typical Larry stuff, getting getting some money, and and yeah, the aforementioned agency backup was uh, really kind of a, a linchpin of his deck that he put to to very good use. Yeah, definite MVP. Yeah, we we definitely so because we knew we were going to have Dane playing Mark, who's sort of the best as like a pure murder machine. <laughs> Colin and Ben playing uh, uh, Larry Anderson and Tommy Muldoon were kind of almost doing like kind of hybrid decks, sort of like maybe like half and half clues and fighting, which isn't maybe normally the way you'd go if that was your only guardian in your group, but it's definitely possible. And um, yeah, you know, it worked, worked out pretty well. Yeah. So yeah, so Saturday, we basically spent a lot of time playing this Circle Undone run through. We met Sean and Scott from the Mythos Busters, which is very cool. They were they were cool dudes. They were, you know, they were obviously running the Iron Man stuff uh, along with along with a lot of other people doing that. Yeah. So that was cool. They were undertaking the momentous task of going through the entirety of the Forgotten Age in one day. Yeah. Uh, and they did it. So congrats to those guys. And we, uh, so we, we continued kind of, we, we played through the secret name, which is pretty uneventful. We did the Wages of Sin and we actually got uh, all four heretics, which I think we, none of us had ever done before. So that was really cool. That was absolutely worth the celebration, I think. Yeah. That, that yeah. was great. It felt really good. That was kind of maybe like the highlight of that campaign so far. For sure. Yeah, it was pretty good. We got a little bit lucky with their placement, but it still was pretty difficult. Uh, definitely had to kill a ghost several times over. <laughs> yeah, we yeah we had like a slightly favorable distribution of the heretics, but even still, it came right down to the wire where we had to have some very creative, perfect efficiency in the last couple of turns because you really just don't have a lot of time to do that. But it feels great when you when you manage to do it. So that was cool. We also so it, it kind of like Saturday evening we started handing out um. As kind of like a fun thing for Arkham Knights, we had brought a, we had commissioned our friend Andy, who's a really great artist, to do some neat custom art for a fan promo of the card Charisma. So we started handing those out to people as, as they kind of, as we saw them and as they came by. So it was kind of fun. And we got to meet some people and, and hand out our, our cool Charisma promo card. I think we, we have the art posted up on our blog, right? If anybody has, hasn't seen that yet. Is that right? Yeah, it's on the blog, but we'll probably post the full card up at some point, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you if you weren't at Arkham Knights, uh, just stay tuned because we're definitely going to be giving them out in various other ways at some other events and uh, maybe like some some other stuff. And we have we have a second printing of it that actually looks even nicer. So Ooh. definitely there will be more opportunities to get some cool charisma promos if you want them. If that printing ever escapes from the hell of 
UPS. UPS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's see. What's the next thing we did after Wages of Sin? The hotel? Uh, no, we, we didn't stay at a hotel, Dan. We stayed in Airbnb. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> hotels are scary, like Excelsior. Yeah. When Tommy Muldoon became a murderer. Uh, you guys talking about when I was unjustly accused of being a murderer, and you guys immediately didn't trust listeners, me at all. Listeners, he definitely did it. I was he, not. I was not the murderer. He definitely murdered somebody. So yeah, we Arkham Knights released to the attendees "Murder at the Excelsior Hotel" as a like a like an early. You can buy it at Arkham Knights, and it'll be available across the country later. A pre-release or whatever. Yeah, and I think it's coming out. Might even be out by the time this podcast comes out, but I'm not sure. But yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, it was designed by Nick from the Mythos Busters. Along with along with Matt Newman. Yeah. But uh we don't want to spoil it too much. Uh there is a murder at a hotel. I think it's it's safe to spoil that because it's right in the title. So Yeah. Uh yeah. <laughs> and there might be some accusations going around about who that murderer is. And it's really cool because it has a lot of replayability because it has like a very heavy uh randomness factor into like how the later acts play out. So, like, we got one version of it, and, like, a lot of other people that were playing got a completely different version. I think there's, like, ten, ten different variants that yeah. have... Sounds about right, yeah. ...drastically different goals, necessarily. Which is really neat. It's almost something... It's a, a little bit like playing, um, you know, Betrayal or something like that, where you start playing it, and the way that the kind of second half of it will go is very, very different and unpredictable. Yeah, that's a very apt comparison, I think. But yeah, definitely, I I had a lot of fun playing that, and definitely excited to play it more and see some of the other uh, versions of it as well. Definitely, just just like a cool. I think it, it's fun as kind of like a we only have time to do one scenario, like a standalone. We don't have time for a full campaign, but also fun to mix into an to an existing campaign too. So yeah, we went in there with the with the Sapphire Challenge Squad of all guardians trying to solve the murder as cops. And accusations yep. were thrown around. Handcuffs were used justly and unjustly, maybe. <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah it's pretty good time so pretty good job i'm sure we'll talk about it more later once it's uh wide released yeah yeah so then after that we went out to the local bar um i don't remember the name of it but joe sensors joe sensors yes and the mythos busters were having a cool little get together a post tfa sort of celebration for everybody getting through the iron man and everybody else was invited so it was nice to meet up with everybody. We met up with Sean and Nick again, and we were talking with them for a little while about everything and, and saw some of you guys over there. So that was a really nice time. Yeah. So let's see. So that was it for Saturday. So then Sunday was the you know last day of Arkham Knights. So we, we headed back to FFG. We managed to do one more scenario in our Circle on Dun Run, which was especially noteworthy because it was for the greater good. And we were playing um, we were playing the version of it where... We were opposed to the Silver Twilight, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so we—it's the version where you sneak into their base and you—you have to deal with them. And uh, this was just a situation where handcuffs were incredibly powerful, right? Yeah, we just busted into the back door, arrested every single cultist, <laughs> uh, which gets rid of their doom because it's a—it's an evade. Uh, and then dragged a couple of them around with us to see the crime things. It was it was amazing. It was probably one of the best experiences in this game I've ever had. <laughs> what I could liken it to is is the climax in Hot Fuzz, uh, and that's definitely what we were talking about the the run being called as well. Uh, I think that us busting on the door with a bunch of agency backups and uh, beat cops, we just flooded the the cultist strongholds with cops and laid down the law, and it was awesome. It was very it was very thematic for the cop squad for sure. Yeah. There was a lot of scene of the criming, there was a lot of handcuffing. It was it was cool. 
Yeah, handcuffs. There's actually a pretty interesting interaction that we saw take place, which was handcuffs with an enemy called Knight of the Inner Circle, <laughs> who, after you enter Knight of the Inner Circle's location, or vice versa, you test for agility. And if you fail, he engages you. So when he's handcuffed, even though he's, he's evaded and on the ground, he somehow still engages you. But he's <laughs> not ready, so he can't actually deal damage or anything. So we had these Knights of the Inner Circle whenever, you know, like Tommy would run into Larry and, and you know, give a key over or whatever. We would have these Knights of the Inner Circle just like, we would basically be dragging them around and using them as scene of the crime buddies. And it was great. <laughs> yeah, it turns, <laughs> it turns scene of the crime into an extremely good card. If you have a, a nicely handcuffed and incapacitated uh, cultist just kind of like following you around everywhere. <laughs> it was pretty it was pretty great i think at the end when we all came to the same room we had to do this test this agility test like like eight times or something at the <laughs> during the same turn just so we can end the game yeah yeah uh, it, was, it was great yeah yeah so unfortunately that was the last part that was the last scenario of circle undone that we managed to finish we'd hoped to get a little bit further but instead of continuing that campaign we got to do something extremely special and exciting there was a kind of special event going on at Arkham Knights this year called the Keeper's Nightmare, which was a kind of unique scenario that you could only play, at least for the moment, at Arkham Knights, where you play with a team of four people and one of the des- designers of the game, either Matt Newman or Jeremy Zwern, plays as the Keeper, who is sort of like a, a like either an antagonistic dungeon master sort of role or like an overlord in Descent, where they're basically playing against you and trying to kill you. So that was that was really neat. Uh, and I, I think it's probably safe to spoil it mostly because Matt told us it was okay. And because for the moment, it's a con only event. So it's probably not something that most people are going to be able to do. Although it may yeah. eventually be released in some form as like a product we were told. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right now, I think only we were lucky enough to be three of 24 people, I think, did it. I think like six groups got run. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely a thank you to Matt and Jeremy for inviting us to that. It was a really great experience for sure. Yeah, we we enjoyed our cryptic invitation. Yeah, but the, so the way it works is I, either Matt or Jeremy uh, plays as the Keeper, who is basically a kind of evil overlord who has like a hand of encounter cards, and the encounter cards are like the cards that they get to play. So in our case, we were playing against Jeremy, uh, and the, the encounter cards are mostly harder and nastier versions of existing ones from the game already. So for instance, there were things like Crypt Chill, but the difference is that instead of regular Crypt Chill, if you fail the test, which you probably do, the keeper gets to choose which of your assets gets destroyed instead of you choosing. So there were a lot of cards that were tweaked like that, where instead of you getting to make a choice, the keeper makes the choice, or just the tests were made harder or other bad things were added to them. So that was definitely pretty scary. They also, the treachery cards had a secondary torment aspect on them in addition to revelation. So, you know, revelation is when you draw it, something happens. In this case, the Keeper basically gets these encounter cards, and they have two things they can do with them. During Mythos phase, they get to assign one card to each player, sort of in lieu of us drawing them randomly. But they can also, if they want, they can put some of these encounter cards face down on their board as what's called uh, Torments, which are kind of like trap cards. They get flipped up at a certain point in the game, like when this happens, they can flip it up to do some horrible thing to you. So it's kind of another way for them to affect the game. And uh, also, the Keeper assigns your basic weaknesses at the beginning of the game, and then you get a lot more as the game progresses. So we, by the end of it, we had a lot of very bad basic weaknesses in our deck, which was which was pretty terrifying. Yeah, it was a little it was a little rough uh, at the beginning, and then it was extremely rough by the end. <laughs> yeah, because the, the chaos bag like kind of started off as like a standard difficulty chaos bag, maybe a little bit harder 
than standard, like had like a minus five in it or something. But as the game goes on, it gets uh, way, way worse. <laughs> up to the <laughs> point of like past expert uh, bad. So the keeper gets to like choose how to make it worse, but which tokens to replace with other tokens. Yeah, it was when the agenda flipped. Yeah, Jeremy had a very clever strategy for making the bag extremely rough. By the end of it, it was like a worse than expert chaos bag, and it was just yeah, it's like Jeremy's played card games before or something. Yeah, we we should mention that uh, that Jeremy has won is is a world champion of both Netrunner and the Call of Cthulhu LCG. So he's a he's <laughs> yeah he's a guy that you don't necessarily want to see on the opposite side of a card game uh, unless you're ready to get wrecked. So we certainly knew that our odds weren't that great going in, knowing that it was Jeremy's win the jeremy's were himself and and matt had also matt had also said to us that the expectation is that you're going to lose and the only question is how long will it take right yeah exactly yeah and that it's extremely unfair and everybody going through it that we talked to the guys from mythos busters everybody else were they were just like well, you guys are going to die so have fun doing it <laughs> that, that was the general attitude <laughs> i think none of the six groups actually won as far as we know and no. it's not really even it would be very surprising and even unintended if anyone won but definitely it, yeah. there was a fun like how far can you get kind of uh challenge to it for sure yeah but uh what did we play i, I was playing the patrice deck i had made for the blob and i was like oh this will be good enough <laughs> oh yeah uh, <laughs> And extra weaknesses in Patrice is bad, guys. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that is definitely true. But you definitely had a lot of powerful tools to pass very difficult tests with when the chaos bag was horrible. So that was definitely yeah. helpful. No, I definitely liked playing Patrice a lot. It was the first time I played her. Probably tweak the deck in the future. But yeah, you could like easily get up to like a 10 base plus commit cards to for, like every test, which was very good for that. Yeah, we definitely want to talk about Patrice maybe a little later because yeah. I think that she's extremely good. Patrice is a really interesting investigator for sure. I'm excited to try her at some point. Yeah. Um, I played a min deck that I that I wanted to run with because I thought that committing things uh, and, and allowing the min bonus for a lot of people might be great, including a lot of skill cards that would help people from across the map. Unfortunately... Yeah, I didn't realize you were playing with us, Dane. Uh, yeah. Because every time I looked over at you, I was like, Dane, can you get clues or commit cards or something? You were like, I can't. I, I have a tower. <laughs> the King of Yellow is here. I, I have nothing. Unfortunately, the way that it worked is... When we sat down with Jeremy, he said, all right, all of your weaknesses that you randomly drew, take them out of your decks. And we're like, okay. And then he assigned us all, very caringly and lovingly, investigator-specific weaknesses. So he said, here you go, man. Here's here's a copy of the tower. And both Leo Anderson and Patrice, here's overzealous, because... <laughs> What's better than Overzealous? We got confirmation from Jeremy. We were like, hey, Overzealous is definitely the worst basic weakness, right? And he was like, oh, yeah. So I feel, like, <laughs> I, feel, I, feel, I feel good that our opinion on that has been more or less confirmed. Overzealous was even worse than this because uh, it made you draw encounter cards for the top of the encounter deck. Yeah. And he, the keeper actually had to like pay resources uh, until they became irrelevant because he had so many of them <laughs> to, to give us bad encounter cards. Yeah. So Overzealous was like, oh, here's two free cards to the keeper to destroy sure, you. Sure was pretty terrible, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> I, as Min, got stuck basically with the King in Yellow for a long time, and then after, right after that resolved, another tarot card. And then he added a basic weakness, which was, surprise, another copy of the tower. It's pretty hilarious, because if you have both the King in Yellow and the tower at the same time, you're just extremely screwed. <laughs> There's like multiple levels of not being able to do anything. And, and you basically, you finally managed to get rid of them and then you shuffled your deck and like immediately drew the king in yellow again. And it was very disappointing. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was playing Mark. Uh, I was playing the kind of like standard Mark deck that I usually play. So not like flamethrower Mark or something, just kind of like good stuff. Uh, Mark. 
And it, it, it went pretty well, I think. I mean, one thing that's interesting about this is based on the way the encounter cards work, the Keeper has a lot of abilities to sort of surgically pick out cards from your deck and remove them uh, and from your hand. Yeah. And I got sort of lucky and managed to resist that for a while. Jeremy did trash a couple of my important cards like Second Wind um, and Beat Cop. But like, I, I think I think it did pretty well for a little while. I definitely, I, I love Mark. He's a really great deck. I, I If we were doing this again, I would probably play that same deck or maybe with a couple of tweaks. But yeah, it was cool. And then our friend Colin was playing uh, Larry Anderson, kind of like a tweaked version of the deck he was playing for our Circle and Done run through. Um, and again, agency backup is was was great. Uh, that was really good. Uh, you could also it was kind of interesting because you could see the dynamics of the game change a lot when you have kind of like a like an enemy who's trying to like it feels suddenly it feels like a competitive card game. So you could basically right. see Jeremy like using his encounter cards to try to attack things that he felt like were important. So like he was trying to kill Colin's agency backups a lot. And that made sense yeah. because if you can make the chaos bag really bad, so the only way to get clues is with like free discovery effects, like agency backup, and then you kill the agency backup, then we're really stuck. Yeah. Yeah. Like we, we did okay for a little while while Jeremy like slowly built up his resources and then like expertly annihilated anything useful to us and or overloading <laughs> us with treacheries or monsters that we couldn't efficiently deal with in one turn. So yeah, we hit a point where we like couldn't progress because we were just overloaded all the time. Yeah, it was, and we should say also, so the way that the, the way that the kind of victory condition for the keeper works is when an investigator gets defeated, instead of getting removed from the game, they, they get a, a, a card that goes into play in their threat area, which basically says you're like a, a zombie, not really a zombie, but you get to keep playing all of your damage and horror is healed, but now the keeper gets additional cards and resources. And if you are, if you're defeated again, then you're out of the game. Yeah, it was like all hopes lost or something. Yeah, and the keeper's victory condition was if all four players are either dead or have all hope is lost, then the keeper wins. Yeah. So, yeah, and we for a long time we again we were doing okay. Like we our progress kind of stalled out, but we were like managing to stay afloat. But then as the chaos bag just kept getting worse and worse, uh, things just just got worse, and we we eventually got killed. But it was it was extremely fun though. Uh, really fun to to get to play with Jeremy. He he signed our architects, which was the card he designed when he when he Woo! won the, the Netrunner World Championships. Uh, and it was it was a really it felt like a very like difficult, challenging way to play the game. And we we play the game a lot. It was fun to be like tested in that way. Yeah, 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 for sure. I think that some tips if anybody should do this at any point in time, receive cryptic invitations from Matt and or Jeremy at any time to to come in and die, basically. Right. We could offer some tips. And and we should mention that uh, a significant chunk of it is randomized. Like, there's different pathways it can go. So it's not like we can tell you... We, we wouldn't anyway, but it's not like we can tell you exactly prepare for this. But there's some general strategies for dealing with, like, the way that the Keeper works. There's, like, completely different encounter sets and, like, board setup for different versions of it. So Yeah, so so the, the tips that we're going to give are more more general than that. They're not about, like, dealing with specific cards or locations or anything. They're more just general for dealing with trying to, trying to stay alive and get stuff done. So I think that the first thing we would say is try to play decks that are resilient to lots of basic weaknesses because you are it's a standalone so you're already probably going to have more than one basic weakness um, unless you want to go very xp light and then in addition the keeper is going to choose your basic weakness and then it's going to to add more later there was definitely an encounter card that was just the keeper chooses a basic weakness and adds it to your deck and there was no test or anything <laughs> so <laughs> wards yeah the the way that we phrased it afterwards was basically if there is a basic weakness that is worse for your investigator than overzealous which is terrible for everyone obviously then that might be an investigator you don't want to play for your keeper's nightmare because <laughs> that's the weakness you're going to get and, and if there's two copies of it in the pool you're probably going to get two copies of it so like 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 min with the tower is like a good example yeah yeah humorously enough the one of the arkham knights cards that was designed ikiok 
who was an ally that was designed last year, could have been pretty good in this scenario. I know, obviously, wards are very, very good because each of these encounter cards just packs such a big punch. But yeah, yeah, having a Donna, what's her name? Or Diana oh, Esperance? Oh, yeah, yeah, Diana Esperance. Right. That's why I said Donna. She she would have been good with a ward attached to her. She would be really good too. Yeah. Uh, until he figured out a way to immediately kill her with some other card, but. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. But it's, um, and I think more generally, so if there's a particular basic weakness that's really bad for your investigator, that might be something to, to, to rethink. But in addition, just a deck that is going to draw through a lot of basic weaknesses. Like I think playing like Mr. Rook or something, normally we say that's fantastic. Like it's great to get your weaknesses out of the way, but might not be the best in this situation. Also, um, decks like Patrice and Min that are just going to cycle through their deck a bunch of times. That means you're going to draw your basic weaknesses a lot more might not be ideal. Yeah. Yeah, very bad. It certainly puts the brakes on wanting to progress through your deck super hard. We kind of wanted to try and keep it, think about it as extra node, just because every encounter card that you draw is going to be so horrible. And you just want to, every pull of the chaos bag is stacked against you. So as, as little as you can do that, the better. Yeah. And I would even say, um, so because the chaos bag continually gets worse, by the end of it, it was pretty much everything was like a minus five or minus six or worse, like almost everything. There were hardly any reasonable tokens. So I would definitely encourage people to try to play aggressively early if you can and try to get a lot done early before the chaos bag gets really bad. Like while the chaos bag is still in standard, I think rather than like spend a lot of time setting up or something, you ideally would want to just like blast forward and like move ahead and advance as quickly as you can because that would like really help. That sounds right. Yeah. I think also, if your deck depends really heavily on one specific card, like Flamethrower, that might be difficult, because the Keeper does have a lot of tools to kill specific cards that you're going to depend on. So you sort of want to have a deck that is flexible and doesn't depend on a specific card. And lastly, you know, even when you're playing the game, a normal scenario in this game, one of the things that is very difficult to deal with is if you just have one turn where all four players draw like a, a significant enemy. And you just have, ordinarily, if they come out at kind of like a predictable pace, usually your your guardian or fighter can deal with them. But if you get four at once, it's really bad. And what Jeremy was doing, which is very smart, was he would basically like draw his encounter cards, he would save up, and he would either give all of us like a treachery to deal with, or he would give like all four of us a, a tough enemy. And it's very difficult to deal with that. So just be aware of that and like maybe try to try to prioritize cards that can help deal with that situation, because that's definitely something that slows you down a lot. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The general tip is kind of, I think, treat it like expert mode. Maybe use seal cards, have lots of Tesla stuff, you know. Yeah. And uh, definitely watch out for Jeremy because uh, he's, he's really good at card games. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it turns out he's he amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, but it was it was a great time. Like, that was extremely fun. That was, like, probably the, the highlight of the weekend just in terms of getting to do this, like, cool, unique, really difficult thing. And it was it was, it was super fun. So big thanks to, uh, to Matt and, and Jeremy and, and FFG for letting us get in on that action. Yeah, absolutely. So from there, we pretty much went, uh, we had to get back to the airport, return the rental car. We, of course, went back to the Mall of America to get Piatas again. Yeah. So we did that on the way out. The circle was complete. Yeah, the first and last thing that we did in Minnesota. And uh, and yeah, that was that was pretty much uh, the end of our, of our Arkham Knights trip. Yeah. So again, like a huge thank you to everybody who stopped by to say hi, uh, the Mythos Busters crew, Matt Newman, and the Fantasy Flight team for uh, all making it an awesome adventure. Big thanks to uh, Surly Brewing Company. Big thanks to Piatas, uh, you know? <laughs> yeah. So we wanted to get to uh, some questions that you guys sent in. And guys, we're here now. We've got the mailbag. It's open. Hooray! It's ready, ready to be answered. Sure is. 
So, uh, yeah, we got some questions. I guess I'll read them. So we got one from Chad, Chad R. He wanted to ask us about uh, which of the new investigators we think is the best. Meaning the new ones from the Dream Eaters, right? Right, yeah. He's a, it sounds like he's a fan of Luke, because yeah, he likes being able to break in and sprint through all the solo games with him because of his ridiculous jump-around-the-map ability. Yeah. Luke is interesting, because I think that, yeah, his ability in playing open gate and stuff is, in some scenarios, is extremely powerful, and in other scenarios, might not be. So it might, it might sort of take some more research to figure out, like, what are the scenarios that Luke is really able to to break things? Yeah, I've only played him in the one scenario in the Dream Meters so far, uh, and my gatebox got locked down for most of that, so I didn't have to do too much crazy fun stuff, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. it seems like he does have this potential to just totally wreck some scenarios. Yeah, yeah, single-handedly. He was not yet designed when they made those scenarios, and now he just kind of, like, could do some crazy stuff, so definitely seems like he's fun. Seeker off-class is pretty cool, too. You can play Mr. Rook and stuff if no one else is using it. Yeah. But I'm definitely most excited, I think, to try Patrice out more. She seems like she's very cool. So, especially with, like, using, like, Cornered and a couple other cards I normally wouldn't use, so. The Dream Eaters has been, our experience with it so far has been the Investigators have been super great. Like, all of them seem to have their, like, a lot of pros and not a lot of cons. I think that Patrice is definitely the the puzzle investigator that they did release, but I think that my vote would probably be that she would be the best, like, out of all of them. I would definitely pick Mandy. I think I've already talked about how great I think Mandy is. Oh, yeah, Mandy. Well, no, but I mean, Patrice is probably good, too, and it's still an open question. But yeah, I I think Mandy's fantastic. I've gotten to play her a little bit in Dream Eaters and in The Blob. That was my deck for The Blob. And um, she's incredible. She's also very fun to play and kind of an interesting challenge to try to make sure that you're getting the most out of her ability. So I, yeah, I, re- I really love Mandy. Yeah, I completely forgot about Mandy being the seeker here. So I'm, I'm going to definitely shift my vote for Mandy. <laughs> Mandy has like dream stats. She's got a great ability. She's like pure awesomeness. So I would say it's probably between Patrice and uh, Mandy. So the next question we have is from uh, Elspeth. Oh, she asks... Are there any investigators you guys feel are underappreciated? I was recently looking at Min, uh, and curious as to why she hasn't played more often, at least from what she's seen. Uh, She seems very useful and suspenseful for succeeding by the skin of your teeth, not to mention her Elder Sign effect also looks good. And then she also thought to reverse the question, so there's kind of two questions here, and ask if there are any investigators that we feel like are overhyped. Um, she thinks uh, she reacts that way towards Ashcan Pete, um, him just generally being sort of vanilla without Duke in play, with Ashcan being his ally, since Elspeth feels like he's the disposable one. And that's absolutely true. Everybody refers to it as Duke with human companion uh, Ashcan Pete. <laughs> so I definitely understand that and feel very similarly. So I guess the um, the TLDR for this question would be, who do you think are the more underappreciated versus overhyped investigators? With a little emphasis maybe leading towards men. It's definitely tough because I, I feel like we don't necessarily have a perfect sense of the meta and sort of what people like and, and dislike the most. I know that there's been some posts on the Reddit of trying to mine data from ArkhamDB and try to get some statistics on that. I think for me, I, I really think Agnes is really excellent, and I just don't see the people talking about Agnes that much. Her pinging ability is really good. I also think that people just tend to underrate Mystics just in general, partly because it seems like a lot of new players have an experience where they play with someone in their group who's a Mystic, and they screw up and put Doom on stuff and advance the agenda. And then from then on, they just think, oh, Mystics are terrible, no one should play Mystics. And I mean, maybe that's kind of true. Maybe they do have kind of a, a higher a higher chance of screwing everything up for everybody. But as long as you know what you're doing, that's really not something you super have to care a ton about. And uh, Mystics can be really good. They have a lot of good cards. 
Yeah, they've got a lot of really solid, very binary effects like Ward, and uh, they've got a lot of versatility in the fact that they use their will for pretty much everything. So yeah, absolutely. Even things like like an Akachi in a three-player game playing upgraded Rite of Seeking and just getting three clues with an action is incredible. That's great. Yeah, there are a lot of times where Akachi doing that would just have more clues than the actual Seeker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for sure. It's, it's She's great, yeah. Yeah, so then as far as overhyped things go, I think that we would probably mention Ashcan being probably the number one suspect. I mean, Ashcan is very well loved due to Duke being the actual card that we're talking about here. Yeah. Very solid in the early game, very solid being, like, efficiency-wise, being able to uh, scoot and, and sniff around for clues with Duke. Very fun to play as well. Uh, survivors in general, I think, are pretty fun. But I think that maybe a little too much emphasis on how incredibly amazing Ashken is, just as an investigator. I mean, he might shine better in solo, which we don't have as much experience with. Yeah, I agree. But in multiplayer, he does not shine as much as several of the other, even several of the other survivors like Windy. Yeah. Wendy is definitely maybe one of the underrated ones a little bit. Yeah, we should mention or we should remind everyone that as usual, we our kind of default mode of thinking is three or four player like standard or hard mode is the way we usually play. So in solo, some of these would be would be different. Like Ashcan's probably pretty good in solo. Yeah. And then the other investigator we did want to mention, um, kind of also uh, regarding the statistics that we we checked out is Jenny. Uh, Jenny seems to have a ton of attention on across like, you know, decks being made. Uh, everybody seems to love Jenny, and for good reason. She's a pretty balanced investigator. She's got a ton of raw HP, or uh, health and sanity, and her stats are all pretty balanced. But I think that Jenny kind of is falls into the trap of being a jack-of-all-trades, in that she can do all things pretty decently. That is not to say she's a weak pick, but I would say that she might be a little bit overhyped for what she can do. Yeah, and I think especially, again, the way that we play is in multiplayer, It you are rewarded for being able to specialize at least a little bit. Maybe not in the sense of, it's still great to have a character that can both deal with enemies and get clues, but trying to have good stats in all four stats is usually a waste of resources. You usually don't really want to do that. On the subject of kind of balanced characters, though, we did get another question from Matastrophic, who uh, says, Lola player here, on the topic of Anna Kasloff, she's not that great. 4 XP is a lot, and I sense she got nerfed down to uh, 1H1S. Uh, 1 health from sanity, I guess. My hot take is that Lola is better off taking Lola Santiago or Peter Sylvester, as they add two stats and have higher health and sanity along with additional ability. I'll kind of shorten it a little bit. Uh, Matastrophic does ask, though, I was curious, what do you mean by Lola dying to rats in scenario one of a campaign? Lola's generalist stat spread means that she's testing 3 versus 1 to squish those rats. She has access to all the tricks in the card pool for dealing with first scenario threats, so Lola's pretty good to go. I think I know what Matastrophic is talking about, so at one point, when we were talking about Anna Kaslov, I think Dane or somebody suggested making a Lola deck that plays all the tarots, and I think I joked that it was really bad and you'd probably just get killed by rats in the first scenario. That uh, that was kind of a joke. Like I, I think Lola could definitely handle rats. I think the bigger problem with Lola is just that the main selling point for her is that you have access to a huge pool of cards but there's diminishing returns like you can only put so many in your deck usually you don't need access to that many like having access to just a couple of colors is great and also her weakness is just really rough like if you you, you're really punished for playing assets because they're going to get wrecked whenever you draw crisis of identity right so you kind of end up having to do this weird like event slola build which again same problem as jenny where it's like a jack of all trades kind of a thing yeah i don't think it's super good again might be better in, in solo and stuff yeah, I think she's pretty reasonable in solo, um, but I think the jack-of-all-trades thing definitely is probably true. Kind of an, uh, an aside, we did have our fellow podcaster, Tim, with 
uh, I've got a plan, oh, definitely yeah. took took the deck, Lola Scoops the Poop, um, which was the deck that we had thought of, which was Lola with a bunch of Taros and Anna Kaslov. And it turns out on paper, it seems like it would be a really interesting idea. But on in practice, it just there, there was not enough action efficiency in the world to put down everything she wanted to and also get a move on in the in the mission. Yeah, and Tim in in a in an episode of his his show took that Lola deck as a solo into uh, Depths of Yoth, trying to get as far as possible. Yeah, and uh, I I think he didn't make it super far. Again, not a knock on Tim, who's a very good player. I think combination of the deck having some limitations and maybe some not super good luck. But yeah, definitely. Uh, I, yeah, Lola I think just suffers from this kind of jack of all trades thing. Even if you want to be flexible, you can play a character like Wendy or Joe Diamond, who can both get clues and deal with enemies without trying to play all colors and have all stats. You know, I know Metastrophic is a big Lola fan. I think this is the this is the person who had kind of like an upgraded version of Lola, like a house rule. You could play like an alternate version of Lola on the Reddit, which was definitely interesting. We, you know, we did that like house rules and ultimatums episode a while back. We always think it's really interesting when people come up with alternative ways to play the game and like alternative ways to modify the rules. So that's definitely a really cool idea. I know. I am ready to try Lola again. So that's coming. Oh, no. You guys should be ready. Especially because we have that cat promo card. <laughs> Can you do that not in a campaign that I'm playing in, maybe? Uh, I, we should probably do it on a live stream. <laughs> that'd be best, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I think we should let let Lola shine in the sun. It's coming, Dad. So, Matastrophic, we'll get back to you on a live stream where Ben plays Lola. Uh-oh, wait a second. To, to test her metal. We we did, like, a year ago, didn't we do a Dunwich run-through with, like, Lola, Calvin, Jenny, and... Uh, Min. Who else? And Min, yeah. Who yeah. at the time we yeah. thought was not a great character, but that definitely changed. At the time, it was the D team. It went fine. But it went pretty all right. I mean, we also consumed a lot of uh, alcohol while doing it, so... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it made it, made it a little rough. Yeah. Maybe it's time to bring that back. Maybe it's yeah. time to bring that back with, like, Ashcan, <laughs> Pete, Lola, and Father Mateo or something. We'll we'll talk about it. We'll workshop this. <laughs> yeah. All right. We got, yeah, we got a couple other short questions here. Um, oh, uh, this is somebody's handle. Uh, one one. P-O-I-U-Y-1-1? How do you say that? Anyone? Anyone? That's actually a super offensive slur in Cantonese. No. Uh, no, right. I, I, have no I, have, I have no idea. Uh. So anyway, but he uh, he wants to <laughs> get a link to that famous, super powerful Mark deck that Dan's always talking about. Uh, yeah, we so we thought about this and we realized, yeah, we actually should have a place where we can just share the decks that we talk about on the, on the podcast. So we made uh, an ArkhamDB account called MUR-Podcast, and uh, whenever we kind of talk about a deck that we played, we're going to try to make sure to upload it there so that people can see. The Mark deck that, that I've been playing for a while is just kind of like good stuff, Mark, without anything super weird. It's definitely changed a lot recently because there's been a lot of new Mark cards out, but I like it because it's flexible. It has kind of some open slots where you can put different stuff in depending on the group and depending on the campaign. And Mark is just in general a great a great character. So I'll definitely upload a version of that deck and uh, people can take a look at it. And we'll try to we'll try to keep that maintained with any other cool decks that we talk about from now on. Yeah, absolutely. So then we do have another question from uh, Gemma who asks, what is your food of choice while playing Arkham Horror, the card game? Hmm. And this is this is a really interesting question. Uh, definitely one that, that I think far less about. The only thing that I do know is that, one, I don't like things that are finger food because I don't like to get my cards gross. Yeah, obviously. Um, and I know that Ben, senti- ben, ben shares that sentiment as well. I do know that we just got done talking about awesome piatas, uh, which are near the Fantasy Flight Center. For whatever reason, they're not out on the East Coast yet, which is very sad. 
but um, we do like to eat those when we go out to Arkham Knights every year. Not, not while we're playing Arkham cards, though, because they're very messy. <laughs> not that messy, but they're like Italian burritos. I think I know what Ben's answer to this question is going to be. Uh, no no food, unless it like has absolutely no residue on your fingers, well, or I have a napkin nearby. Well, uh, what is? but there is one particular food that Ben always wants to eat when we play games, which has conveniently no residue. Yeah, I eat uh, those little pretzel nubs. What the hell are they called? Nuggets. Little pretzel the, nuggets. The Snyder's sourdough pretzel yeah, nuggets. I eat yeah, I those a lot while playing Arkham in person. <laughs> I used to enjoy those, and I feel like now I've eaten so many of them just from playing D&D and Arkham and stuff with Ben that I just never want to eat them again in my life. So, <laughs> they're, they're not bad. They're fine or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of share what these guys are saying, which is that food is, is fine, but it's likely to just get in the way as you're playing. I'm a big beverage guy. I want to make sure that I always have the right beverage at the right time, uh, which for me right now is usually either unsweetened green tea, cold green tea, or uh, like spindrift, especially if, if if there's like cran raspberry spindrift. That's a really good one. What's a spindrift? Is that like a weird Californian it's a drink? seltzer. It's like a seltzer water kind of a thing. Yeah. Or if if I'm being really bad, I, I love an ice cold vanilla Coke. That's that's great. Or or beer. Beer is always good too. So, I think uh, yeah, you really you got to have the beverage. The beverage is the um, you know the epitome of human convenience and comfort. And uh, you just you always got to have your beverage. That's what I think. Yeah, we certainly consumed a lot of Surly. Yeah, at Arkham Knights. So good stuff. My vote would be for for Surly and Piatas. And Ben seems to lean towards the uh, pretzel nugget direction. I'll sometimes get mozzarella sticks if I'm playing online, but that's very dangerous. Cause oh. I, don't, I don't want any grease on my computer, so I have like a napkin. It's it's a lot of work. Next time you're playing Arkham, if you want to experience the game the same way as 2017 Card Council designer and Keeper's Nightmare victim uh, Ben <laughs> from the famous Miskatonic University Radio podcast, you can find those Snyder's sourdough pretzel nuggets at literally any grocery store or Target. <laughs> so you Or you, like... I don't know, rest stop or gas something. stations. Yeah. So, so, so you too can experience the way that, the way that the pros do it. Uh, well, uh, speaking of food, we have one more question here. Uh, oh wait, no, this, this is a quiche recipe. I think this is a spam. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. How did this get in here? Yeah. It's very, it's very unusual. A like lot I, of quiche recipes. Yeah. I mean, I, I can only assume that maybe if, if we were extremely hungry in some kind of an emergency, then maybe this recipe would be useful. But, uh, apart from that, it just seems like a lot of work. Yeah. yeah, I definitely already bought the ingredients to make it. So, oh, uh, oh boy. Okay, so, so I'll, I'll report back once once we do uh, make it. All right, Dan, Dane's going to make the quiche and report back about how delicious or not delicious it is. I, I like quiche. I'll, I'll eat a quiche, you know? I guess we can thank Sammy for that, uh, unless, there is, unless this is spam, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not sure whether Sammy is some kind of acronym or something randomly generated or a real person, but uh, whoever you are, thank you for sending us a quiche recipe. Dane's going Dane's gonna to really enjoy it. I'm going to investigate the the matters of the quiche. Yeah, and and see see how good it is. Yeah, sounds good. Maybe it'll turn into my favorite food while playing Arkham. Who knows? Could be. Oh, Could be. Oof. Either way, thanks everybody for your questions, listeners. If you also made the trip to Roseville for Arkham Knights this year, what was your favorite part? Which investigators do you think are overrated or underrated? Comment wherever you listen to podcasts or email us at comments at mur.fm. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.
I forgot to mention how upset I was that they no longer had pizza at FFG. Like, they just randomly cut that from the menu, and it was like a good pizza.